All right. Hey, are you not counting anymore? Did I, I mess it up three, for Two, and then zero for silent, like they do in show business. People, show business. You're not show business. You're JR. Yeah, I could be. Maybe someday. Only when you are We all got to have dreams, Siska. Don't Your mommy me. told you you were special, and she wasn't wrong. That, that she did. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we are going to introduce you to our guest, the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Daniel Potter. So could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Dan. Dan, or, or Daniel, as, as you prefer. And I am the author of uh, a new series called uh, Full Moon Medic, which is features a paramedic werewolf uh, trying to save a uh, half-fey child from a very nasty red cap who's... Uh, mm -hmm. Disguised as basically Santa Claus, and he's the most scariest Santa Claus you will ever see. <laughs> Is it more oh. Santa Claus or Krampus? No, he 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 looks like a very strung out like um, Salvation Army uh, Santa with a little plastic bell that clacks clacks instead of rings. Interesting. I might have to pick that one up. Um, all right, so uh, dare you read it at Christmas. <laughs> I got no shame. I'll do it. Um, so the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is where we tell you how we found him. So he actually reached out to us. Uh, he reached out specifically to Saska and said, hey, you want to do an interview? And we had room on the docket. So we said yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wait, Doc, before we forget, did you meet him at a bar too? Because we know about your problem. I have no problems other than the lack of sleep. <laughs> All right. So, so you haven't met him at a bar yet. All right. We can fix that. He just, he has to come out. You know, come to Dragon Con. We can fix that. Dragon Con is a bar. <laughs> it's a um, an what, alcoholic one giant bar. giant bar. It's very long. It might as well be. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I contacted you guys. Well, really, Podium uh, connected us because yes. the um, the audio uh, version of emerge the first book emergency shift uh comes out on the 15th of september and we are That's very exciting. excited for for that and that is performed by uh cindy k i love it when we you get a good female narrator so yeah. granted i mean i i love nick podell's narration too so i mean i i am equal opportunity with the love of my narrators so but that is going to be exciting yeah. Is, it, is this your first audiobook? It's my fourth, actually. Okay. So um, I have uh, I have three series. One is uh, Freelance Familiars, which is an urban fantasy about a a guy who gets turned into a mountain lion in chapter two and has stayed the mountain lion for the last five book books, and that is a look at magical society from the uh, the perspective of familiars and uh, his sidekick is a squirrel who likes to blow things up named Rudy. So, I, I, I like the squirrel. Yeah. Me too. I want a pet squirrel. <laughs> they, they apparently are bad pets because they have very sharp claws and they land on you all the time. Eh, time. Old. He does that anyways. <laughs> That's also true, but we like Vikings. We do like Viking, particularly when Viking yeah. sleeps. So there are three audiobooks in that series. Um, and I published those through Find a Way. Way okay. Self-published. But Emergency Shift is published through Pod Podium. And I am very happy for them to do all the production stuff for me. And they have done an excellent job. <laughs> I, I hear that the production end of uh, audiobooks can be very... Like creating a brand new book all over again, I think is what one author once told me. Well, it's you, you have to listen to your own work again and again and make sh and send corrections and all that sort of stuff. It's very time consuming. <laughs> I, I can see where that would be. But 
on to our religion question. Valerian, Contact, or Babylon 5? <laughs> um, I'd have... Wait, what's... Valerian? Who's the first option? <laughs> Valerian. JR picked it, so he can explain what it is. Okay. But if you don't know what it is, obviously it's not Valerian. Right. I, it, I'd watch Babylon 5. <laughs> Valerian is a um, film adaptation of a graphic novel or manga. I get those confused with comic books, but it was not well received by the fans as a faithful adaptation. Oh, I remember Valerian now. Now it was really pretty looking, but no. Yes, it was. I enjoyed the movie, but I've never read the the graphic novel, so I had no dog in that fight. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I would have to say Babylon Five. I remember watch watching. Uh, season or two, two okay um i'm i'm not a devotee i'm not really a devotee of much tv shows i don't watch a lot of lot okay of well we're going to try some <laughs> fantasy ones and maybe you'll like one of these okay manji jurassic world or hellboy hellboy <laughs> i figured it might be hellboy with <laughs> i love hellboy i think it's oh, a very adorable i i love i've I've read quite a number of the comics um, and watched all the De Toro mov movies. I didn't see the the newest one yet. <laughs> that is understandable. I hardly ever get into the media. So <laughs> I get sucked into books too much. Uh, so really, what was your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy? So... Um, Really, the most influential books on me me is our David Brin, um, okay, and his uplift, uh, his his uplift um, series, and that was really got what got me into thinking about non human characters because he has aliens in those, and obviously like uplifted dolphins and gorillas, and he managed to like make them seem really interesting characters while also highlighting, you know, the differences and that sort of stuff. And um, that those are the books that I always go back to as like where I, I kind of got the bug because you'll notice all my books have inhuman main characters in some way. We've got a werewolf and I do a lot more werewolfing than a lot of shifter <laughs> authors in um, in emergent in full. Your kitty cat agrees, and um, obviously the freelance familiars and uh, in my other series, the Horned Serpent, the the dragon has a point of view. <laughs> That's awesome. So. so what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it reading something, watching a show, playing games? Oh, I, I, I was a book vacuum cleaner when I was a, when I was a kid. Like, oh, I, there was there was some like, I don't know. It was like we I had these these old blue hardbacks, like just from my like paper bags of of these old blue like mrs fizzlebottom or some something about this magic old woman or some something and it was you know there was hardy boys in there and some other stuff but just just the these paper sacks of books that that i found in my grandparents and i read through them all when i was young your grandparents yeah. had a much better book collection than mine did <laughs> And, um, yeah, <laughs> I, there, there's been very little I've read by myself that hasn't, at least when I was younger, that wasn't science fiction or fantasy. See, okay. um, I only got into nonfiction as an adult when I started writing the stuff and I needed a break. <laughs> I can understand that. It wasn't until my late. 20s, early 30s, that I started willingly reading nonfiction. So, is that your cat? So, yes, he, he is upset that he is locked out of the room. Oh. So, so, does he appear in any of your books? 
or she? No, no. Uh, Einstein, I do use him in advertising occasionally. He, he is occasionally a model cat. <laughs> nice. All right. So what is it about speculative fiction that you love? Um, everything. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, what do that that's that's like i know <laughs> it's like my life is speculative fiction you know just just trying to articulate that that is difficult um i've always i've, I've always lived in my head uh, i've always um had like creations going on hold on i have to let this cat in he, he, i feel so on. bad for him <laughs> You, you want to be the first cat on the podcast? Yes. Oh, Does he have to pay for a model cat now? Like, do we got to pay for the model fees? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now he's in, in there. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I got my PH when I went for my PhD. Really, I was going in to become a mad scientist, and only when I got slapped by reality halfway through, and um, did I realize that was actually I was not nearly as smart as I thought I was in terms of science. And um, but I have been told that PhDs are designed to make people do that. Yes, yes, they are soul crush crushing endeavors in one way or another. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I, I read a great meme the other day, and it was somebody going, reading for fun implies that there is not reading for not fun. And they went, what do you think getting grad school is? <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Well, unless you get a graduate degree in history, and then all of it's fun because you like all of it. No, no, yes. no, no. You just like pain, JR. <sighs> Nobody's perfect. All right. so Science we'll is where it's at. Just, just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So how did your love of speculative fiction, the, the very broad genre, transition into you writing stories in this field? Um, well, I hit that wall in grad school and realized science wasn't going to do it for me. Um, so then, so I was around 23. I had just recovered from uh, a stomach ulcer, a stress-induced stomach ulcer. And... Um, and I was started looking at, okay, I need a creative outlet. What do I do? Um, so that took, I tried to teach myself how to draw. I tried, uh, tried a bunch of different things, tried to teach myself how to code because I love video games. I'm a huge gamer. Uh, that, oh, I that thought didn't you work. I'm like, oh, I read a lot of web comics. Let's do web comics. And I was in love with Neil Gaiman, uh, and uh, Sandman and that sort of stuff. Stuff. It's well worthy and, of love. Yes, yes. And I'm like, I'm gonna make like urban fantasy web comics. And I didn't know how to draw. I'm like, well, I'll use my little postdoc sa salary to try and, and hire an artist in Indonesia. And I did that for two years, and nobody really read it. And. <laughs> When I got unemployed, I dropped that. And two years later, it was like, okay, well, I guess I'll novel. We'll do some noveling. And um, after about two years of noodling with that, I wrote Off Leash, which is the first fr freelance familiar book after uh, taking a break from a serious sci-fi I, I was trying to write and wrote that on, uh, in NaNoWriMo in a month. And then it was off to the, I'm like, oh, I finished something. I guess I should publish it. I mean, that's what you do. And it got some success. So, yeah, and I continued that series. Um, then I tried an epic fantasy, The Horned Serpent. And uh, that did a lot worse, though I feel like it's pretty good. But no one else agrees with me. Uh, so I went back to Freelance Familiars for two books. And then... Um, I also got the idea during the pandemic for Abby in Secret from Emergency Shift. And that released in April and that blew up. I've 
that book made more than off leash in a month than the last book had in five years. So, oh wow! So I got picked up by Podium, and everyone really loves loves the book. <laughs> that sometimes is a good problem to, to have. Sometimes and, you have to find your niche. Um, I had a friend who he wrote horror for decades. He did an epic fantasy, and it exploded. And he was like, "Really." <laughs> but sometimes you find your niche and it's not necessarily what you thought it was when you yeah. started. So, yeah. but that's kind of cool though. Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, Bear, did you ask number nine? Yes. That was the one he just answered. Sorry. I fell asleep before the podcast and that's a <laughs> recipe for ADHD being extra active. Um, so many authors let their real life experiences influence their stories. Were there any formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? And actually also, did your PhD come in handy with writing this? I mean, I'm, I'm, you'll, you'll see the, the PhD-ness in the, my magic system sometimes, <laughs> um, like, you know, Freelance Familiars is a comedy, comedy series, um, a comedy series that has a sort of very weird fourth dimensional magic system. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, when I started writing, it was very much, I was doing science on my day job. And so I was like, at the door, Kirk Blunk. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, so so I, I've, I've seen that kind of, thing it's why i read mostly fantasy because i do science <laughs> and i need the break <laughs> yes um i would like to write a try and write like a biopunk um sci-fi eventually um but i i need more bandwidth and right now the fantasy is really really working for me for me so uh we're gonna ride ride a full moon Moon Medic. I want that at least six books. And uh, since I'm really only a two book book a year, two, maybe three, if I can get all the timings right, uh, books a year author, um, it's going to be a little while while before uh, I'm feeling like, oh, let's let's throw that all the all out the window and write sci-fi. <laughs> no, don't throw it out the window. Just just alternate. When right. you get like halfway through the series, be like, maybe I'll take a break and I'll write this thing. <laughs> See how that works. And then uh, go back. Uh, I think it was Patricia Briggs in an interview. She said she did like a two to one ratio. She would do two of one series and then one of the other. So, and, um, and they're set in a shared universe. So it worked out well for her. But yeah, I mean, just do what works for you. And yeah. also definitely feed the fans. They like their food. Yes. yes. <laughs> so they get cranky when they don't get it. <laughs> um, so, but transitioning a bit from the writing side, since you've been writing for a while, has anybody asked you about your for your autograph out in public, away from a book signing event, maybe? Um, not, not, not really. Um, mm -hmm. I I have been at con cons where they sort of like stop at the table. Oh my god, I've read that, <laughs> and that's always a nice feel feeling that is um, great particularly because you don't fans don't often recognize what their authors look like right right <laughs> um and uh my my current author photo uh is i don't know i didn't have the hat i don't have the hat in it. i'm trying to brand around the hat so i need to update that <laughs> but, i mean I like Pratt always had, had a hat so it worked for him so <laughs> what made you pick that hat as your branding uh, why did I pick this hat? Because um, I, uh, I found it on um, Cape Cod. I was visiting my parents in P-Town, and it's a really nice kangaroo leather hat. I like it better than Mar George R. Martin's hat. <laughs> that normally looks like it needs a wash. <laughs> yes, it does. This, this is now old enough that I really need to recondition the leather. Fortunately, it doesn't show up on this camera too well, well the discoloration, so. But uh, I, I will, that is a project, hopefully, uh, 
I will tackle soon. <laughs> the brim's just a little faded, you know. Twelve years. <laughs> so, can you tell? Well, you've actually given us a bit of your highlight reel of your body of work. So, already, it's the three different series, right? Right. So there's uh, Freelance Familiars, which is five books. Um, mm -hmm. There are uh, three of them in our are in audio. Mm -hmm. um, there, I'm once I'm done with the second full medic book. book I'm going to go and hopefully finish that uh, sixth book in that. that okay. Will that sixth book be the last book? We'll see, because I'm a discovery writer, and I never know quite what's going to come out of the book. book uh, that is fair. Um, I always laugh when I see the uh, non-discovery writers who plan things out, and they, they're like, it, and then they're going, I think... Uh, Kate Forsyth and her Witches of Elenia, I have some of the original of the first three books. And in the back of book two, it said, and each of these books is this thick. <laughs> and they're, they're like David Weber, George R. R. Martin thick. And um, and it goes, stay tuned for the third, the conclusion. And you're like, there's no way unless a meteor ha right, hits the planet or a volcano destroys everybody that you're going to finish this up in three books. And sure enough, there were four more after it. <laughs> I mean, yes. Um, all my 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 book ones are typically uh, freelance familiars are, are about seventy to eighty thousand words. Okay. And uh, they get longer each time. Um, currently, the manuscript of the second full moon book, which I'm editing as fast as I as I possibly can, um, is standing at a hundred and twenty thousand word words. That's a good ten hours on audio. Yeah, so uh, I mean, Podium's going to be happy. <laughs> I'd be happy too. I devour yeah. audiobooks. Yeah, my first so. books are really like origin stories, and then things get complicated. That, that's kind of how life works, though. Yeah, yeah. So, 120,000 words, Doc, is roughly about 300 to 400 pages, depending on how it's formatted. I'm so yeah. glad you finally understand that I have no idea when people give me word counts. I'm like, cool, that sounds thick. <laughs> yeah, uh, you roughly anywhere between 250 to 500, depending on a lot of factors, words See, per page. That's how you know people are either editors or authors. <laughs> is because they give you word count and you're like, and you can tell by the blank looks that they're readers. Well, it's also it, it also factors in where you read. Do you read the print book? Do you read the Kindle or or the digital book? And then what device you're reading it on? Because some pages are bigger on the like the handheld devices. So I don't know. I know that when I go and I put do them for my readathon, I have a reading club and we we do an annual like count, and I'm behind, which is fine because I think they prefer for me to be behind because. It surprises everybody in the other in the other chapter when I uh, what we're competing against. Then when I finally turn in my page count, <laughs> I read like two books, at least two books a month. And if they're audiobooks, I'll go through a book a week. Mm. So yeah, yeah my... one hour. I did a, a forty hour book in in a week, and the, my friend goes, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, you dared me. That was your problem." So um, since I went full-time uh, authoring, I am not doing audiobooks nearly as fast because I don't have a commute and I'm not doing mouse sur surgeries for eight hours a day. day. Well, that so, makes sense. Yeah. So my, my, my reading intake has really taken a hit, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. That has to be a little bit frustrating. That's why when I walk my dog, uh, I listen to audiobooks or podcasts. And so, like, the interesting parts keep me going. I'm like, well, I guess I got to do another lap. I have to find out how this ends. Nice, so, nice. My, my, problem, my problem with, like, doing it with, um, like, a 20-minute elliptical or something like that is then I'll get stuck on it, and I won't want to start my writing. I have a strict habit-based writing schedule. I start it. 7 30 and so if i start and get stuck in an ebook i've just blown my entire or or an audiobook then i've like blown my entire writing day 
Oh, I can understand that. <laughs> because that's, that's, I get addicted, and that's that's the danger of like that. That's my problem. Not not a problem, but something I have to plan for. Quirk. So I tend to just when I finish a project, I binge read for like two weeks and just do that. That's why I had to put Skyrim down because I get addicted and I can spend a lot of time on it. So I had to turn it off. My Xbox now has dust. Well, not dust on it because I actually dusted. I mean, it's not like that, but but metaphorical dust. But yeah. Skyrim's so pretty. It <laughs> is. I used to I, be an adventurer until I took an arrow to the knee. Yeah. I play a lot of roguelikes because um, they have, you know, you do a run and then you're done, right? So... I play a lot of Hades and Enter the Gungeon and that sort of stuff. And uh, it's just like I write from basically 7.30 to 4 o'clock and then my, my brain's kind of done with words, you know? <laughs> I can okay. understand that. You guys are talking about games and the last game I bought is still in the shrink wrap. And the <laughs> expansion has come out and the sequel and the expansion sequel. The, the sequel to oh. the... I don't think I should about shrink rack rap. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of that sounds fascinating. Today we're here to talk about his book, Emergency Shift, book one in the Full Moon Medic series. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, smelling too much formaldehyde? Okay. So it's it's really was was you know a pandemic-inspired book. I have um, I have a friend who is an awesome person. <laughs> and um, she is a transgender EMT, um, and um, she, and from the stories that she has told me, I really wanted to do a story about where the hero was a paramedic, and um, so uh, obviously I'm a straight white man and I wasn't uh, comfortable doing a, uh, a trans character as main uh, as the main main character but um, since uh, there is a character uh, who is the the best friend and has her own very uh, intricate plot plot uh, who is a trans paramedic in the story but that's where the the idea started and um i also was looking at you know urban fantasy as a whole and i'm just wanting a werewolf sort of world and story that's dangerous so um you know you read urban fantasy today and you, someone says, oh, you're a bloody blah, blah, you're a vampire, you're a werewolf, you're a, you're a mage. These are the rules, right? Rules are boring. These are all the things that, you know, you can and can't do. Like, um, and I didn't want any of that. I didn't want the elder vampire enclaves who are wealthy and control the political environment. I didn't want... The werewolf packs who are militarized, they live in huge warehouses together in that sort, and they're wealthy again. So this is, ha so it is based, it is, it is based right as magic is coming back. All those, those creatures have not been present up until this moment. And so Abby, and during the course of, starts kind of like an unconscious werewolf, and you'll see as the plot progresses towards the end, she's a big werewolf. Um, but she's the only werewolf. Ooh. And so the series is her overall she has to make a werewolf society eventually. And the things that are coming back, you know, the things that aren't, don't start as human, you know, the fae, the undead, dead, they're coming back hungry. 
because they've been shut out of the world for hundreds of years years and they've been starving in these alternative planes of exist existence so it is not a safe world and i was inspired by uh and and bishops series where you know the the supernaturals really rule <laughs> and they are still kind of the main characters um and so we this series is is about change. It's during the, the magical apocalypse, and each each successive book will get deeper and deeper into that. Into that. So, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but the first book is really about Abby. She's losing track of herself, and during full moon, she's destroyed her apartment a couple ta times. Um, but she hasn't hurt anybody or anything like that. That, um, but she goes out on a call, and there's this fey knight, mortally wounded. There's body parts everywhere that are like belching gas because they're troll. They're dead trolls, and there's a cat-eared child there. Oh. There, who's like, what am I gonna do? And in the course of treating this fey warrior, she's let the the warrior asks her to take care of this child. And Abby, being a paramedic, she generally just humors everybody who's in in her her cab just to make to keep hope alive. And so they'll get to the hospital alive. And so she says yes. And when she tries to give this child to protective services she nearly has a heart attack and dies <laughs> so, so i i have to ask doc you read a crap ton of fantasy novels and i'm new who, me yeah you so is this idea where magic's actually just coming back is that a new thing i haven't heard a lot of that when there aren't many book. books actually dealing with like the emergence most people kind of skip that kind of chaos which is fine I mean, that's if that's what they want to do, but I think that's what makes this also stand out. And uh, particularly in a time where uh, I'm going to get a little bit horrible and normal. And uh, I, I don't think that there's going to, we're in the new normal. I think we're trying to find the new normal still. So, um, so when we're, I think that, that being the book world being in a state of flux and ours being in a state of flux is probably one of the reasons why it's really driving and speaking to readers. So, I mean, it's what I would find interesting. You know so. what? Just for that answer, Doc, we're going to double your salary. <laughs> Yay! Wait, does that mean I get two beers next week? Yes, it does. Two yes! and a half if you play your cards right. All <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know what? I will call Podium up and I'll make sure they cover your drinks at Dragon Con. How about that? All right. So before we dig into more about the story, um, I really liked your cover art. So I'm going to throw that up on the screen. Can you tell us how this came to be? And then I'm going to magnify it. Okay. So I had a very specific reference for this cover. I said, make it like Aliens 2. <laughs> um, we, we want it. Abby with the young ward, carrying the young ward, looking looking badass. That was very specific uh, instructions to my designer, and they they really hit it out of the park. It's a great cover. So most of the time when we see cover art, they're either go out of the way to hide the fact that the female is a female, which you didn't do. You can see the curves. You can see it's clearly a woman. Or it's not hypersexualized either, which I like. Right, which the or they go hypersexualized, and you chose neither of those conventional paths that people say are what make a good cover. So was that by design, or did that just sort of happen when the art director gave you what she gave, or they gave you? I I told them to put her in a paramedic uniform, and uh, that's what they did. Did um, I mean Abby's not, you know, at least in this first book, she's. She's not very sexual. She she is still hurting from a very bad experience ten years ago, where her um, 
her boyfriend committed a mass mass shooting. That's one of the reasons she's a paramedic and uh, living in that guilt. In the second book, she's um, there. There's there's some there is some romance, but I write my romance very different from a standard romance. I'm I'm trying to get at complicated but adult relationships. And so there's not like lust lust at first first sight and that's or or there's no like first mates or uh that sort of stuff stuff. Okay. Um, I think that works. And I mean, you're not building this as a romance novel either. So the, the romance subplot doesn't have to follow the typical sort of trajectory of uh, happily ever after that you get in a traditional romance novel either. It's much more about building family. And, but when you build family, you know, there can be romance in that process. Yeah. I like that. All right. We'll leave that up on the board because that's just a pretty image and we'll throw us all back. And Doc, the next question is yours. So, can you give us your thirty-second elevator pitch for this novel? Thirty-second, and do you, are you going to time this? No, <laughs> we can, but we normally don't. We only time like Doug Burby because it's funny. Well, in all defense, in our defense, he timed himself. <laughs> That's probably because Doug knows I'd do it. I pick on Doug a lot. Doug <laughs> deserves it. Yeah, but. You know, so take take your time, but just to, you know, the readers digest, you know, spiel about the story. Okay. Um, right. So, uh, Abby <laughs> Knight is is a werewolf paramedic who is who through accidentally making a promise to a fatally wound, wounded uh, Faye Knight is bound to take care of a little gir girl who's half fae and can open the gates to very to fatum where very hungry fairies reside as they've been locked out of out of the real world for centuries and she has to survive and stop a a red cap from abducting her back to the land of the Fae. Or no. the entire city will be overrun run with Queen Win with uh, the Queen of Win Winter's uh, minions and appetites. So when you say hungry Fae, does that mean hungry as in we're going to eat their souls or eat them or just power hungry? What do you mean by hungry? All of the above. They're fey. They don't really exist just on food. Yeah. So, you know, some some really like, you know, the red cap who is named Lil Nick feeds on fear. But, you know, he's got buddies who feed on on directly on blood. Um, some that, you know, feed on pain or um, just sadness, depression. It's the whole winter court court gambit in there there there's one that feeds on outrage uh she makes an appearance in the book book there's uh there's one knight who feeds on fatalism okay interesting i wonder what that would taste like <laughs> what? um okay. what I was going to go somewhere, but it is not appropriate to our family-friendly rating, so we'll just move on. Jar, I think, likes to say that when he starts to say stuff and then doesn't forgets what he says. Um, well, you're not supposed to give out my secrets. It was a secret? Really? Jeez. Woman, you're fired. No, you just doubled my pay. Um, so <laughs> what is it that you think you really hit on in the way of the tropes the best in this series um tropes i i hit on 
um, on the protect the child trope. It's it's kind of like a recent thing in a in a lot of uh, shifter uh, shifter fiction right now. Mm -hmm. Now, um, where you have have a ward and or you have a child, and so the the main character has to who doesn't have a child suddenly is is like, oh, I have to do mother stuff right now now while dodging life and connect i i think it's because there are so many moms who are readers out there personally and right. some of it and that and to be honest there is something really wonderful about watching somebody else get struggle and go yeah see they're annoying when I mean, you love them but they're annoying i mean secret's a little easier than a real kid because she can turn into a cat a small small kitten and be adorable adorable and uh when especially when she's feeling uncooperative and grumpy she'll just turn into a cat and start knocking stuff off counters and that sort of thing <laughs> uh that sounds very catty yes oh. can she change into other creatures or just a cat no she just changes into a cat and at, there was a brief moment she was a small panther <laughs> which is still well, a feeling okay a cat <laughs> totally get that um, so do you think there's anything really that makes your novel, other than the fact that you are dealing with the kind of upheaval, really special and unique in the field of uh, urban fantasy? Or just that it's, I mean, is there anything, we kind of talked some about this already, yeah. but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add. So I asked. I mean, um, it's, it's, uh. It's it's really about these, uh, you know. It's not so much like saving the world as it is carving out places in a changing world for for you and your fam family. Abby doesn't like um, does doesn't really go. Oh, I'm going to you know I'm I'm saving the world or anything thing she's she is dealing with with the people she cares about about and trying to make decisions that will be best for them and on one side and the other side is she is trying to hold on to her identity as a healer as even though she can she's becoming a monster so i really got to ask this question but does the world at large know that this is what's going on? Well, or is it kind of in the like? No, no, because they've been picking up occasionally when a when a uh, they have they call it code Z when somebody dies in the ambulance and then tries to bite them. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, that would be they, they, so they they care carry what they call the the D animator, which is basically a short barrel shotgun in all the ambulances now now so it, it, it's like it's common enough that paramedics know to watch for it but not so common that it's a thing right so okay. yeah so it's um and it's it's localized to portland right now we're okay we're, we're, it's set and so when the authorities go and like say hey we got zombies here nobody in the federal government believes them <laughs> or even statewide it's like oh it's portland being weird <laughs> i mean it does kind of have that reputation <laughs> right <laughs> i think they actually have a like keep portland weird campaign going too but so Austin, I mean texas does too yeah, I, I think that's Austin. I mean, Portland's still pretty weird. I mean, it's a little techified, but I live. Uh, the reason I said it in Portland was because I'm I'm an hour south of it. Okay. But the plan was before the pa pandemic hit, I I did have some inkling of this idea, um, before before the pandemic hit, was to go up there and hang out and do a lot of research on. Po Portland, but you know, pandemic. You know, I I drive I I go up in there and drive around and try and get the locations set. Um, but 
uh, I haven't done a lot of socializing in Portland yet. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. So other than the urban fantasy, what genre or subgenres does it, you think the story fits best into? So it's, it is, um, I would call it sort of thriller. Um, it does very well in the thriller suspense uh, werewolf genre or category in Amazon. It's, it still ranks there, even though it was released in, in April. So um but yeah, it's it's kind of a werewolf flavored urban fantasy thriller. And she is in this book, she's not so much of a werewolf as she is running for her life from the Fae. <laughs> Second book is much more raw rip thing things to pieces pieces, but <laughs> Okay. So uh, now in the story itself, what do you uh, what can you tell us about your main character? What do you think makes her stand out? in a crowded field of science fiction and fantasy? Um, Abby, so I really wanted to present a, a, a world that is uh, an urban fantasy world that is, is more recognizable to me. Um, you know, I, my spouse, spouses is in deal with some some real world issues. And so um, she is uh, a paramedic because her life was, she's working on a, on a guilty complex from this mass shooting in her pat, past and she's constantly trying to overcome that. Um, she bought the fella his gun. So um, she deals with that sort of, sort of guilt guilt and as a paramedic it gives her a very different um perspective on the city on the police on the culture than a lot of heroes but you know she doesn't have she's not plugged into like an investigative operat apparatus um so she doesn't have those resources and she's trying to maintain her job throughout these these sort of event events. Um, so it's it's much more of a fly by wire for her. There's no real procedural elements until the supernatural involves the medical community, which happens more in the second book. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so were there any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you? Maybe that uh, transgendered paramedic friend? Right, so Cindy is, is uh, a transgender woman who is not out to her co-workers at the start of, other than Abby at the start of the story. She's out, out to Abby because they spend a lot of time in the ambulance to get together. Um, we have Victoria, who is, well, uh, Abby is the first werewolf of Portland. Uh, Victoria is the first necromancer. And um, she and Abby share a kind of blood bond from the prelude, prelude story, which is called Twilight Run, um, where uh, Victoria was the patient that got sucked into the underworld and Abby and Cindy had to drive her out. Um, and she's a fun character with uh, even more fun zombies. Um, and then there is Ray, who is uh, the a three-tailed uh, fae, uh, fox fae, who, present, who is a blending of the Japanese Inari uh, goddess and uh, Reynard, who is the European fox who is basically a scheming bastard. So she's fun. <laughs> that okay. sounds like a, a heavy cast of characters. But do you have a bad guy other than just the red cat that you um, can tell us about without giving too many spoilers? Um, the, well, little Nick is basically, no, it's, it's mostly them trying to defeat little Nick. Okay. Uh, who is this horrible force of nature and is uns 
seemingly unstoppable. And the longer he he's in in the real world, he the bigger he gets because he is feeding on all the fear he creates. He kind of swells up and in, into like this malevolent carnival balloon after a while. Okay. <laughs> so um I gotta ask, if your characters found you in a back alley and they knew who you were, how do you okay. see that playing out? Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't survive, no. No. Not even with the healer? First do no harm. What? I said first do no harm. Isn't that like the, the medical rule? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. All bets are off once she's a werewolf, but. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, don't think um, they would be too appreciative the hell I put them through. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I, yeah, I can kind of understand that. Um, so what is your favorite character archetype when writing? Um, when writing. Um, or just even reading. How about either or? I mean, I don't think in character types, in, in archetypes, really. Okay. It's, I'm... I'm so unstructured. <laughs> structured. Um, I I really went. So the the fact fact is, um, I'm a science major, and English was my worst subject. And so archetypes in any sort of formality classification like that, I don't really know. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I am very much, I have characters running around in my head and we put them out into the world and we watch them interact act, and through experience, I've managed to sort of know how to corral them into a, in a story arc that is sort, sort of cl climbing towards a big finale and I can push push them and stop them from talking for chapters and chapters at each other and just being snarky and bowing around round. But in terms of like archetypes, I leave those to like people talking about reading and talking about my work. Then I, then any sort of eternal internal, like, Oh, this is this archetype or that is that archetype. Type. Okay. <laughs> All right, so this is where you get to give us a sneak peek at how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from emergency shift that uh, maybe you find a way to use someday or you just really liked, but they just didn't fit for whatever reason? So um, there is one, there were just a few scenes that were um, cut out of emergency shift. It was actually a, a pretty easy write compared to my usual, my usual, um, panic rid ridden chaotic process um and that was one scene where abby and secret were are literally running through the Feyland, and it was just this really cool um my spouse found it boring that's why it got cut but i thought it was really cool where they are running through this highway and all the different fey realms are represented by these islands floating through the sky and meanwhile in this in the in this high sky the the forces of the moon and in in the sun are fighting each each other and these roads are actually snakes snakes and they run between the 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 separate castles of the winter and the the summer cor courts and they can see see the the half the starving fey all looking at them hungrily and two fey knights come out into the road one gold gold one black and start slowly pursuing them as they are uh, running down this road, and Abby is towing, towing secret via a bike cart. <laughs> that does sound interesting. So, 
hopefully uh, we'll get to read that soon. Um, so finally, what can you tell us about the universe at large in many series, the good ones anyway, the world where the story is told is as much a character as the protagonist or the antagonist. So can you give us a hint of what we can expect? Is it just the modern world with the magical shift? Is there more? Um, so there are, um, there beyond the, 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 the main world, what happened was there are, there is the twilight and the dream and the corruption. And what happened in the ancient times is twilight and the dream. So twilight are, are the dead people. The dream, dream are the fae got together with the sun with with helos and shut away the corruption because it was chewing up everything um and the crossroads is the mundane world and what happened was that because of that seal the moon was jealous and sabotaged it so it cut off over time both the twilight and the dream from the crossroads. And now Luna, who is the moon goddess, is ascending over, over the sun and she's opening things up again. Um, but meanwhile, both the, 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 the citizens of the twilight and the dream have been starving because they've been shut away. And they are all rushing into the real world. And Victoria, the necromancer, kind of broke the, the localized reality, resurrecting a vampire. Um, and so everything is flooding into Portland first. <laughs> and um, so it will eventually become worldwide, but everything is going wrong in Portland first. Wasn't the uh, Grimm series, uh, the urban fantasy set in Portland as well? It was. Yes. yes. And I, I did really like that series. It was an <laughs> awesome series. Yeah, it was. But maybe everyone in, in Portland was was some sort of beast by the end. Yeah. <laughs> so Emergency Shift is clearly part of a series. I know because it says so on Amazon and you told us. There are currently one book published, one in pre-order. But is their story done after that? Will, it be, will there be more from these characters? No, there's, there's at least – there's probably six books in Full Moon Medic. And then um, I have plans. If if people are still interested in the series, um, a grown-up secret will probably get a spin-off. Okay. Um, what about uh, Cindy and the Necromancer Veronica? No, is it? It started with the V, right? Veronica. Veronica, I was right. Okay. Victoria. They get their own? Yeah, Victoria. Veronica. That was. She was originally named Veronica. It's Victoria. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, Probably not. Um, maybe I. It depends on what the fan reaction action is. I'm planning a short story which details uh, Cindy and Ray's relationship because they are they are a couple. <laughs> okay. <The> second book. <laughs> so we all know that every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and magic, or magic in the case maybe. So do we have any tech that doesn't exist now in your book or is the difference mainly through the magic? Difference is, is mainly magic. It's set about 10 years in the future. So electric cars are more commonplace and that sort of stuff, particularly in Port, Portland. Their, their ambulance is, is electric. Um, Interesting. Um, so, and there's... Other than that, um, not really. There's been they've they've been struggling with a few other plagues in addition to the corona. So uh, that might have been uh, we have hyperflu and Ebola R, which was fun. <laughs> Don't give Mother Nature any ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no more ideas. Um, so. Is there any magic, probably more so than even tech, that you would use that you would want from your series to have in today's world for you? 
Um, most of the magic is uh, blood-based ba or soul-based or contract-based. Um, uh, Victoria is very hyped as in because magic is coming back, your word is much more important. Mm -hmm. And so she feels in the long run that this will make everyone much more honest with each other. The Fae think that that's very funny. <laughs> yeah. so I, I think that people will be very careful with what they say, though. Yes. But at the moment in the world, no one's not many people have cottoned on to that fact. <laughs> okay. So will names be powerful then? Like in some fantasy worlds where your name has power? Names are, are, are part of it. Um contracts uh it's it's a big part of book two actually you, you probably want to start reading those employment contracts extra carefully <laughs> yeah i can imagine so <laughs> you might actually that like you know oh if you die on the job you know you you don't get to leave <laughs> oops <laughs> yeah no i i would think that would yeah that would be a problem so when you went about creating your magical creatures for this world, did you get inspired by nature, um, nightmares, too much, uh, too much time staring at rats? Um, I'm very inspired by the world of darkness uh, role-playing games. In this okay. Um, you know that really started in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, cool. But um, yeah, I was I was one of those kids um, who had a lot of books, but not many uh, friends who were really into playing them with me. And so I read werewolf, vampire, mage, cover to cover, all the supplements, but didn't play it much. And so that's uh, I really. Um, like that darker mythos of of these urban uh, flavor of urban fantasy. So, you know, there there's definitely horror, gruesome elements. I've been called out multiple times in review reviews for being too gory. Um, Paramedics are kind of a gory job, though. Yeah, and you know, I. I do did spend 15 years doing animal surgeries. I'm immune to gore. <laughs> I I find it interesting. So that's just what I what I am. <laughs> I've met some paramedics and they tend to have a dark humor especially if they're in certain types of cities. So that that actually kind of fits with the with what you've created anyway. So I don't know why anybody would be shocked. But um, one of the people have really liked that the um, they call cases where they think a vampire is involved involved up. It's another double barreled mosquito. I like that one. <laughs> okay, so um, clearly this interview is winding down. We're at about an hour mark. Uh, but was there anything? that you we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us about Emergency Shift or the Full Moon Medic series before we uh, wrap? Oh, man. What haven't we we covered? Um, uh, not really. Um, it's, it's really where... It's really a series where my heart really is right now. And I'm very much trying... Um, to represent a world I, I, I live in and, and add these monstrous magical elements to, to it. I want it to feel a bit more current than some other uh, urban fantasy, which feels a little cordoned off from our world. Like, things are simpler in the those other store stories 
So this might be a good place to remind everybody. You said the first audiobook is being released by Podium Publishing on what day? The 15th of September. So if you're pre-order. This is uh, <laughs> going to come out on the 10th. So if you're listening to this, you have five days. Go pre-order it now. Uh, he's got one of my credits already. So, All <laughs> right, you. Daniel, um, how can listeners find you? And as usual, dear listener and viewer, this will be on the show notes. So you can go follow the links if you don't want to write it down. Remember, but how can listeners find you? Right. So I am, uh, my webpage is danielpotterauthor.com. I am on Facebook at Fallen Kitten Pro. Um, or you can just Google, uh, or Google my, well, don't, don't just Google my name, search my name on Facebook. There are a lot of Daniel Potters out, out there. So Fallen Kit, Kitten Productions, look for that on Facebook. Um, I am Fallen Kitten Pro on Twitter. Um, where else am I? I have a, a Patreon if you want to seek me out there, and that's under Daniel Potter. Um, and that's that's about it so far. Um, I have uh, designs to branch into Instagram and TikTok at some point. We'll we'll see uh, see if I have the funds funds. In uh, energy to do that, but yeah, so that's where I am currently. Okay, that all sounds exciting, and that will be linked. And if you want to just Google them, if you type Daniel Potter author, you find them. If you just type Daniel Potter, you get lots of weird Harry Potter stuff. You probably never heard of it, but anyway, I, I have to talk to my mother about my name in SEO. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she got a plan for good. that, mom. When right? you name, name a kid, so, just like do a generic name. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us, dear listener, on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades. You can follow us on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise we even answer it. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast backslash group backslash blasters and blades podcast. Are you noticing a theme, people? And you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. One more time, that's buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Oh, that was that was kind of weak, Doc. You got to do I was in the now. middle of drinking. Because you weren't surrendering. That's right. Yeah, see? See? All right. So you can support us on uh, Buy Me a Coffee or on a monthly recurring basis over at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tacky and tack blades. And it does help defray the cost of operating a podcast. So every shilling is appreciated. Thank you for spending your time with us. I know it's precious. For the absentee Nick Garber, the overworked J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. We'll indulge our love of nerd culture, pineapple on pizza, cheesy jokes, torturing JR, and all things that go boom, especially if they're in a lab. Wait, wait, wait. You're nodding your head to pineapple on pizza. Are you one of those? Yes, he is, because all the good people are. Pineapple and bacon. It's 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 the best. All right. We're, it's a good thing we're ending the show. I'd have to kick you. No. 